Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, where we explore the deeper side of coworking, content, and community. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Hey friends, in this episode of Coworking Out Loud, I'm chatting with John Huntinghouse, who's the VP of Marketing at Tab Bank. He's also a fantastic thought leader around marketing, brand, content, leadership, and we dig into challenging your marketing assumptions, what that means, how to do it, why it's so important, and I also talk with John about his interesting and unusual path into marketing. Have a listen. Hope you like it. Hey, John, welcome to Coworking Out Loud. I'm over the moon to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. So thanks for the invitation. I'm of excited. course. And a little bit of context. So you came up to Park City, gave a presentation for the marketing club here about 10x growth. But the thing that really stayed with me, I still think about it all the time, is you were talking about challenging your assumptions in marketing. And um, if you don't mind, I'd love if you just share the story again of the huge aha that you had that led to 10x growth and what it what it even means to challenge your marketing assumptions. And then we can kind of get into some of the how and why of it. Yeah. So basically, the backstory is when we were first coming on one of our in initial campaigns, we were working on a you know our business lending side. Is a campaign for some of our business lending for the bank. Um, as we went to all of the different product owners and um, around the bank and asked, you know, like we had created a list of, of different assumptions that we had made as a marketing team and, and that we held as a bank. Um, and one of the assumptions um, and all of the feedback that we received was that the primary decision maker that we should be targeting uh, needed to be the the owner of the business and which makes sense it's you know it's intuitive um but then as we started to look back um and look at do we have data that kind of supports this or do we have anything really that supports the fact that you know the business owners are the primary uh decision makers and we noticed that we didn't um and so then we decided to you know test it and it's like maybe it still could very well be the case that they were uh the primary decision makers and then as we kind of tested that you know that uh, assumption out. Uh, it turned out that it wasn't uh, the case, and kind of our aha moment turned out that you know it was, uh, you know, kind of the makeshift CFO um, <clears throat> position. Like those were the individuals who were ultimately the, the key decision makers uh, within the businesses, um, and those were the ones that we needed to be crafting our messaging and targeting and all of those other elements. And so that that's what really kind of led to it's like, oh, now we've been targeting the wrong people with the wrong message, um, and then we kind of. Uh, you know, we kind of pivoted from there, and uh, yeah, and it turned out to be one of our most successful campaigns that um, we've had at the bank. So that that tweak of changing who you marketed to, who you got in front of, ended up just this insane growth campaign. That's right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, you know, and and there was another thing that was kind of tied along with that, right? It was uh, one of our assumptions is that we should only be targeting, uh, you know, the end customer or the end user in this case. And 
you know, that was an, a, another assumption we had, and it turned out that that was also false. Uh, or actually, not that it was wasn't false, um, but that it wasn't the whole picture. Um, and and then the other element that led to that 10x growth was that well, there's this whole group of you know CPAs, lawyers, and uh, referral partners who don't work with us directly in the sense of they're not our customers, um, but we can add value to their customers. Um, and so it doesn't cost us any, anything and they don't charge us anything, but it adds value to their customers. And so they're more than happy to refer them over to us. And, you know, gaining that insight in connection with understanding who our ultimate target uh, audience uh, was, that's one of the things that kind of led to that 10x growth. And they end up just ushering people in your door yep. for you. Hey, I was yep. just wearing that hoodie this morning. Oh, yeah, we have the same yeah, buddy. A, <laughs> I love yeah, it's, it. a, it's a little cold outside. So, it is a little cold. Um, it's snowing it's, here. I was like, am I driving yeah, it's snowing over? Here too. Yeah. All right. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I remember you made a spreadsheet of all your assumptions. And I think I grabbed a, an image with my phone, but it struck me there were so many. The list was really long. Everything from small details up to like who you're, you're targeting and stuff. Will you talk me through um, some of the things that were on that and also how you made that? So I work with a lot of co-working space operators. A lot of community builders are going to be listening to this. So like big picture of challenging assumptions, where do you start? What are you looking for? Um, how, how do you break down all the things? Like what does this look like in practice? Yeah, so when we initially go through this, right, we go through uh, basically an assumption brainstorming session um, where we gather, you know, we, we list all of our assumptions, like from the marketing standpoint, um, and we do this individually. We don't do it collectively uh, when we initially start with the brainstorming, um, just because it generates more ideas and mm -hmm. more assumptions or, um, you know, it's just a general best practice when it comes to brainstorming. And then once we do that, then we go around um, and gather feedback and give them some of the assumptions and ideas that we're thinking of, but then also gathering feedback from the various product owners. And so once we gather that, like you're easily going to get, you know, 100, 100 150, you know, different assumptions and <laughs> different things that hit. Like there's a lot, right? There's just, it's a crazy amount. Um, and so obviously you can't just go out testing all of them at the same time. And so after you kind of create and brainstorm this large assumption checklist, um, the next thing you have to do is uh, triage it, right? Like, all right, what are, what are going to be our most important, uh, most impactful assumptions that we need to know as a business and as a marketing team? And so that's what we, what we do. Um, what we do is we base it and we kind of create this uh, category of low, medium, high uh, in terms of um, confidence. Mm. So how, like, how confident are we that this assumption is actually true? Um, and so if we have a lot of data, there's all of this anecdotal, you know, information out there, there's a lot of experience, basically everything that we can see, and we have a lot of information that points that this assumption is actually true. Well, that's going to be lower on our priority list because more than likely any experiments or anything that we kind of test or run it's going to validate what we already know because we already have a ton of information around right. that. Um, and then the other matrix that we uh, judge against is business impact. 
Um, and so like how much does this imp impact the business, uh, low, medium, high? And so basically you have a matrix um, with those two axes, right? So uh, business impact, low to high, and then confidence level, low to high. And obviously the assumptions that have the highest business impact but the lowest confidence um, are going to be the ones that you test first. Um, and so when we were talking about like who we should be targeting from a marketing standpoint, um, from a confidence level, it was low. Like we, did, we just didn't have anything that actually supported that assumption. Wow. But from a business impact, it was crazy high because we need to know who we're targeting, right? Like we need to know who that end user is. And so that's why it was, while well, it was our first assumption and our first experiment that we built our campaigns around, was to understand and, um, you know, reduce, the, increase our level of confidence um, in terms of understanding what that assumption was. Um, and so once you do that, then you start to triage it. Um, and then you kind of pick the top 25, right? Like it's it's not, it's very subjective. It's like whatever, uh, every marketing team looks different. You know, some have more resources than others. If you have a really large marketing team, like you can knock this out, you know, you can go through a lot of these experiments fairly quickly. Uh, if you have a smaller marketing team, it's just going to take time. Um, but what it allows you to do is kind of build out your experimentation um, and experimentation cadence that you have. Um, and then it also, the third element that I haven't mentioned yet is that um, you start to look at this new list that you've had that you triage based on confidence level and um, business impact. But then you look for ones that tie together, um, that directly tie together. If we knew this, then that that knowledge and information helps us understand this next experiment uh, because that's one of the you know one of the things that a lot of marketers uh, struggle with is we constantly talk about the importance of experimentation um, but we don't really run experiments very well um, and definitely not scientifically scientifically and so one of the things that we need to do is build upon our knowledge right build upon our learnings as opposed to just shotgunning our experiments and running experiments, kind of seeing what happens, good or bad, and then just running another set of experiments that are completely unrelated to that previous one. Um, so as we kind of continue to build upon our learnings, I mean, and that's what they do in, you know, any research institution, right? You go to any of the universities and you go to the research institutions, that's what they do. Like when they run their experiments um, and for their studies, you know, at the end, they draw conclusions, they ask new questions, and like those new questions become the genesis of your next experimentation. And so um, by tying those together um, also helps you kind of really get to the heart of the matter, which is really understanding what's going on with your customers and then understanding key insights that the customers may or may not know or that the business may or may not know as well. So like what are some example assumptions say around email or social media things that likely everyone you know people are very familiar yeah. with kind of the some core marketing things like what are how small did you break it down i mean not i mean initially it, it wasn't too granular right um so like to use social media as an example um you know one of our thesis is that linkedin was going to be a lead driver out of our social media platforms um, for our business lending. Um, and that actually turned out to be the case. It actually turned out to be true. Um, but a, <laughs> and, but that was, you know, so that kind of validated our assumption. Right. But going through that experimentation, what we also found out is that the vast majority of our 
target audience within that space actually just don't really use social media like that much at all. Um, I mean, they, they do here and there, but like they, they just don't see it. Um, and so, which then leads to a new assumption of like, what social media um, for that particular product still an effective route or channel to invest in? Right. Um, or do we need to invest in other channels? Um, and it turned out that um, we, we isolated it to LinkedIn because LinkedIn actually did give us uh, quite a lift and boost mm -hmm. um, within that space. Um, but then outside of LinkedIn, we didn't really invest in any of the other platforms because, you know, after kind of validating this, like it just didn't make a lot of sense. And so we ended up investing in other channels. Um, but I mean, that could be the, the question because another thing, especially if you have a smaller marketing team, like we try to do is like, we try to be all things on all platforms and try to do everything well. And it, and it just doesn't work because you just run into bandwidth and resource constraints. And so then you have to, you know, you have to find those constraints and say, all right, if I can pick one or two social media, like assuming that social media is where we need to be, like what are the one or two platforms that we can just really do well, like and really dive in um, and kind of own within that space. Um, and that's what we did with LinkedIn. And, you know, like our Facebook isn't that great, but, you know, LinkedIn's been doing really well really, really well for us. So, so you, you determined that your market was indeed on LinkedIn, but you tweaked who you were targeting on LinkedIn and kind of let go of the other stuff. It's so easy to get in the weeds with all the things and also to get in kind of caught in habits where you're like, okay, yep. every week we do this and this and this. Um, yep. and I, I think you, you taught me a valuable lesson around that. And, um, I started doing my assumption list. This is this conversation's making me want to go back to it because it's just easy <laughs> to kind of uh, there's such an urgency around it to keep things moving, especially for small companies, companies of one, small teams to just like keep pushing yep. out the stuff. Um, so let's learn a little bit more about you because I love the content that you put out, the stuff around leadership, the stuff around marketing. Um, will you give me a little bit of backstory, how you got into marketing and how you ended up at TAB? <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to make a long story a little bit shorter <laughs> but because it, it really is quite the kind of the non-traditional um, route. But then again, I, I think a lot of marketers actually – Get into marketing through a non-traditional route because you know most of us like at 12 uh, aren't thinking like hey i want to grow up to be a marketer uh, yeah i say, certainly but, did not <laughs> yeah so i i think most of us kind of find our own little route but yeah back in the day um one of the reasons why i am so like heavy and focused on experimentation and research and all around these assumptions and whatnot is um my background is actually in uh, cardiovascular research uh, genetic hmm. research um, and so in a former life, I was, my mom's Korean and kind of like a, your stereotypical uh, Korean uh, family. My, my mom wanted me and my brother to be a, uh, a doctor and a lawyer. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of the career path that we just went on because that's what we always were told that we need to be. Uh, until I was about a month away from starting medical school. And then I ended up having a conversation with a friend of mine who was in medical school and he kind of had a throwaway comment of like, what are the things that you study when you don't have to study anything at all? Um, and he didn't mean it to be life-changing, but it was life-changing because mm. I realized I never really ever questioned like what I actually wanted to do. I was just like, I, I was just always set that I want, I was going to be a doctor. 
um, and I, I wanted to help people, but you know, like using those parameters, like uh, I just want to help people. There's a lot of professions that can <laughs> go and, and help people. Um, and so, yeah, and then I ended up with about a six year journey of just trying different things and things I probably should have done in high school and college uh, days. But um, I ended up uh, creating, I actually became a blogger. That's actually how I got in my initial foray into social media marketing and creating uh, Facebook pages um, and the social media platform um, that did really well and uh, generated around 6 million views a month um, and did that full time. And uh, it was really weird for a lot of my friends at the hospital because I'm like, I'm quitting my job. And they're like, what are you going to do? I'm going to go be a and, blogger. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a full-time blogger. And they're like, what the heck? I'm you, sure your parents love that. I'm sure your mom loved that. Oh, yeah, no. My, no You're going to be a what? Even, even, yeah, no, it's it's still so that that way now. I mean, I, even to this day, my mom doesn't quite understand what I do. Yeah, uh, we always joke that like my mom still drops off like, you know, like the little coupons that you get from McDonald's for like a ninety nine cent egg McMuffin, like because she like feels like I still don't make money, like right. um, like somehow like she doesn't know how I make money, so she like <laughs> she'll just drop off these little random things. Um, but then I ended up getting, uh, you know, working at KSL um, and. Worked there as a social media director. Um, and then from KSL, I went into uh, agency life, which I loved. Um, and I worked at Epic Marketing uh, as their director of digital marketing and loved my entire time there. And it was super great and it helped me grow and expand my own skill sets. Um, and then uh, ended up um, walking into this opportunity at Tab. And this position didn't exist, but after having a conversation with them, they're like, hey, um, why don't you, you know, do what you're doing, but like do it with us at Tab um, and come over at Tab. And so here I am. And so, so they didn't have, the... they didn't have a VP of marketing. Now you're doing that. And mm -hmm. um, I want to get into those moment of truths, but really quick while we're on Tab, will you just give the nutshell for people who don't know about Tab? Because it's an interesting kind of thing you're creating. Yeah. So Tab Bank is just a digital online bank. Um, that's kind of based out of Ogden, Utah. We've been around for 24 years um, and we spun out of the Flying J truck stops. But um, so we've always been mobile and digital and um, that's kind of been the onus of the bank. And we, we have a lot of different things and really cool projects in terms of trying to move forward, not only the bank itself, but the banking industry um, a lot with the open banking and banking as a service as well. Um, it's kind of a lot of the areas that we're diving into. Um, you know, and our stock rewards debit cards, but yeah, it's fun. It's just, you know, it's a digital online bank that's doing a lot of innovative uh, work and we're excited to be part of that. It's an interesting time to be a bank. A couple of episodes, I chatted with my friend Corey, who's really into web three. And we were just talking nice. about all <laughs> the changes that are happening now that are coming like interesting time. Okay. So back really quick to those moment of truths. I've had two of them in my life where one the first one was around school and career path and education. And I literally woke up in the middle of the night, like something woke me up and was like, you're not doing that. And so I had a similar thing. I was like, well, what do I enjoy doing? And a friend of mine at the time I was working at a record store, um, this was like in fairly early web days, but she was really good at Photoshop. And I was like, it was amazing to me that she was so good and just so natural with it. And I thought, 
well, that's cool. That seems cool. That's something I would like to do. So I did not go forward with my education plan at that time. Instead, I jumped into Cabrillo College, which is a two-year college in Santa Cruz, California, and took a intro to digital media course. And it just like opened up everything. It went like Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, led into all like different design courses. And the moment where I hit the sweet spot is we were doing digital publishing and I put something up on a blog and then I realized there was a typo in it. So I went in, changed it and republished it. And I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, I love everything about this, like instant publishing, instant, like um, I was absolutely hooked from there. So then I took a long windy road, but yeah, we don't just like grow up. I knew I wanted to write as a kid. I did not even know what a marketer was, but I love those, like those moment of truths where your life takes a complete path. Did you tell your friend that what they said or your classmate, what they, the question they asked you changed the trajectory of your life. Yeah. He's like, that's probably a bad thing. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> you probably shouldn't be taking life advice from random comments, but you know, and, and I, but in fairness, I told him, I was like, it's worked out really well, you, you know? And so uh, it's been a great journey along the way. I love it. I love those little nudges. Um, so before we jump off, John, so like I said, there are, the people listening, a lot of community builders, co-working space operators, people in this workspace industry, if you could give just some high level advice around marketing assumptions, anything like what's your big takeaway for people listening? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, I'm obviously biased. I, you know, I, I'm always wearing my marketing hat. Um, and, you know, there, there's been a lot of, you know, it's it's kind of almost a popular thing to do where, where a lot of companies kind of count, but, you know, they've had all this success without marketing um, or without doing any marketing. Um, and for some of those companies, it's, they're still doing marketing. They're just not necessarily doing paid advertising, which is only a, a component of marketing. Right. And I think sometimes we get, we lump marketing into this really, really narrow um, you know, pigeonhole or silo of like paid advertising. Um, and marketing is just so much more than that. Right. And, and it's, it's, you know, even more than just kind of the basics of marketing, which is, you know, getting the right message at the right time to the right people. Um, it, it, it really is a form of two way communication, right. Mm-hmm. Of you communicating to the customers and, and then also for them to communicate on you, um, and as you are building out, you know, whatever it is, right. Like a brand, um, you know, I, I think an element of marketing that we get wrong is this whole notion of like old school branding, which is, you know, back in the sixties, like we, we, as the brand had a microphone and we would, uh, you know, speak to the customers and say, this is what you should kind of do and follow on. These are the things you should like. But, um, really, you know, when you look at all of the things that the brands that I'm passionate about. Um, I'm not passionate because of the company or the, the corporation itself, right? I'm passionate because I'm projecting my own feelings, my own desires, my own uh, likes and interests onto them, right? Like I'm projecting mm. to them, not the other way around. Um, and when you start to understand that, like you, you really start to build around this community building 
um, which is, I mean, like Web3, like if you're going into the future of um, kind of the business, like Web3, that, that's the entire premise of this, right? It's kind of this community building. Um, but really understanding that and realizing marketing is much more, um, you know, it's much broader and bigger than just simply paid advertising. Um, the way you communicate, the way you interact, the way you understand your customers, um, and really making the customers the center of the business, like not as a, let's focus on the customer, but literally building the business around the customer mm. um, and, and being customer centric really will lead, when, when push comes to shove, you'll make the right decisions because the customer is the central focal point. It's like, I've never heard a, I've never heard a, executive or a leadership team ever say let's not focus on the customer right, right. like yeah. everybody <laughs> always says like we need to make the customers a focal point but when push comes to shove like when they run especially now like when you have like you know kind of a uh, potential recession and you know kind of downturn in this economy like there are tough choices and the businesses who are truly customer centric are going to make the right decisions around the customers because that's how they're built that's their dna um, and, and I think marketing's superpower is being the ultimate customer advocate uh, at the table um, and learning to be able to advocate on their behalf and make the right decision and not just, you know, make short-term decisions that seem like, you know, to generate revenue or whatnot, uh, but like making, still bringing in that long-term perspective of like, how do we build and continue to build that relationship and loyalty with our customer base? John, you're speaking right to my heart right now. I <laughs> I talk and think about that a lot. Like it used to be that like IBM or whatever could just kind of broadcast messages and that was yeah. marketing. And it's like everything has flipped right now. I like community yeah. content, service mindset, sharing resources, yep. genuinely helping the people in your community market audience, like genuinely helping them do whatever they're doing better. Like that's where we're at with marketing and um, with, it is such a huge ecosystem and I don't have a problem with paid ads. And if people are only doing paid, I'm like, it feels so risky because as soon as you stop paying, you're left with wherever yeah. you were way back when it's like, you have to be creating <laughs> yeah. all the stuff, the community, the content, the resources all the way along. And then as, yeah. as things ebb and flow, but you put that so well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Before we wrap, uh, where can people find you? Where can people best connect with you? Uh, probably the easiest is just on LinkedIn. So it's just look up John Huntingham and, um, yeah, um, it's, it's probably the easiest. I am on Twitter a little bit, but really uh, primarily on LinkedIn. Perfect. I'll link in the show notes. And John, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Coworking Out Loud. Head over to catjohnson.co to catch up on any blog posts you missed. Register for the next co-working convo and join us in the lab, which is a marketing club for workspace operators. See you soon.